adjust your dials. After yet another missed episode, we're coming to you for a double-length season finale episode of Rocco Public Radio. We are talking about five or six books from April 19th and three or four, depending on how you look at it, from April 26th, and marking the final issue, the finale of Sins of Sinister. This is... The much less famous but equally important Rasputin 3, my one and only Comega Mutant Keegan. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? Uh, you know, it is going good. I am glad that uh, both of our complicated schedules can finally coalesce and I we can get talking about this. I know. <laughs> I've missed this. I've missed this. But, you know, I do think that it's to everyone's benefit because now they do get a Narocco Public Radio Super Show. Hell yeah. <laughs> this week. We are talking Sins of Sinister with both Nightcrawlers 3 and Sins of Sinister Dominion, as well as New Mutants Lethal Legion number 2, Bishop War College number 3, X-Force number 39, The Excellent number 2, Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number 3, Deadpool number 6, Extreme X-Men number 5, and kind of Invisible Iron Man number 5. Woo! <laughs> Got a lot. Want to start with Sinister? Let's start with Sinister. Right. I'm hyped for it. We're going to talk Nightcrawlers 3 talk a little bit about it and then jump straight into dominion because it's one long story basically but written by cy spurrier drawn by alessandra vidi it opens with mother righteous recapping the last 900 years describing heists she sent various minions on to steal magic artifacts meant to power the reliquary perilous in the present we see her and some of the newest nightkin steal a phoenix egg though her narration makes it clear she doesn't really need it she's got plenty of artifacts from uh, the last nine centuries she reveals that Dr. Nemesis has cloned 50 generations of Nightcrawler clones since the last issue, though each one continues to degrade as she helps uh, one who is dying continue the tradition of bamfing into the world's armed force field. Mother Righteous consults her collaborator and minion, Dr. Nemesis, who has essentially spread to the point where he is her base, a giant head careening through space. She recaps many beats of the previous issues from her perspective, revealing that she banked on Destiny's actions in the name of love. Her reflections are interrupted with an announcement of a quickly approaching object. A crude map on a data page shows the trajectories of both the Eater of Sin and the Lonely Bullet, which converge at the target. The story cuts to Anti-Fortune, summoning Vox Ignis, who shows up with Ghost Rider Galactus, infused with all the spirits of vengeance. He pleads with Mother Righteous that they want him to die, but she points out that he was only ever a tool to her. The other object, Destiny predicted, the Lonely Bullet, Juggernaut pops into view. Turns out Destiny calculated this precise moment a thousand years ago when they fired Juggernaut in that in the very first issue to kill Thanos. He's careened through space and uh, he now plows through Galactus's head and the force field around the world farm. Surprisingly, the force field manages to survive just barely. So Mother Righteous, one last time, callously discards one last Night King by having Anti Fortune, her right-hand woman bamf into it herself when vox ignis questions if it was worth all the death righteous finally explains that the nightkin sacrificing themselves were the most powerful parts of the reliquary perilous all along that their sacrifices were given such religious weight by the nightkin that they were in fact imbued with the power she'd sent them to find in all those relics she also explains her goal was never to save the world from Sinister, and that she was so confident that things would be reset, her only goal was to give herself a leg up in the next reality by sending back information. The Ace of Hearts serves as a message in a bottle that sends information back in time to uh, during a reset. 
Voxignus is horrified at Akala's plan to discard a thousand years of history, but Righteous reveals she needs the spirit of Variance's powers to feed the heart, and she separates Banshee. Battle-hardened Wagnerine arrives and threatens to kill Righteous to protect her baby, but Righteous uses her magic to hold her back, until Banshee stabs her in the foot. Righteous turns her attention to him instead, and they spar verbally for a moment until Righteous is stabbed through the heart by Wagnerine's tail. Nobody ever remembers the tail. Wagnerine gets her baby, and Banshee encourages her to make the most of the time she's got before the reset happens. She leaves, and Banshee is shot by someone who arrives to take the Ace of Hearts for herself. Robo Moira. It's a bummer we couldn't fit an episode in because this issue did have a ton going for it. It had so much going on. Uh, and it was a lot of really good stuff. I really enjoyed this. Just to see all the plays from Mother Righteous's point of view was kind of like, oh, wow. It, it Wow. I am amazed at how quickly they turned her into a top-tier character. Mm-hmm. Mother Righteous is so cool, and it's crazy that she is such a complex, well- developed character that has existed for less than a year yeah it's so weird to me we talked all along about the different religious ties this and, and allegories and just religions being built in this series mm-hmm. i think it's so cool that it literally came back in the form of her admitting that that was the plan all along was their devotion their their sacrifice in the name of their devotion powered her her powers her i, powers, I, I yeah. got really stupid, I mean, what what is you know what is faith without believers is essentially yeah. the point of that so good and i like that they so well captured the kind of ethical debate fans were having or even just the apathy fans were having they, the sinisters all have this idea that the universe is going to get reset anyway so nothing that happens to any of these people matter and that's what a huge portion of the readership said heading into this was well, why do I care about this event? We know where it ends. It ends with everything being reset. Right. So I, I, I love that there are characters acknowledging the callousness of that. But they're saying, well, no, we all lived for a thousand years. Like, this is a, th- these were real lives that are being just cast aside. And in a way, all of those readers have a stand in in the villains of this series. That they, Like, that is the audience stand in at this point because. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of the audience at some point said, well, yeah, nothing that happens to any of these characters matters because we all know it's going to be reset. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just, what a clever way to make something that, in a sense, doesn't count, count more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and way to, way to make us all, all a little more introspective about how we treat these fictional characters' lives. At the end of the day... In what way are any of their lives any less important than any other fictional life? Like all of the, like all of their their lives are eventually reset. Like that's the very yeah. nature of comic book storytelling. So it's, it's all made up. Yeah. <laughs> I am a little butthurt that it seems like that is the end of Wagnerine's story. Me too. I want Wagnerine back so badly. No spoilers for Dominion, but. She don't show up there. <laughs> no, she do not. <laughs> and I really, I was really hoping that we would see some some version of her. And maybe we still will. We've got plenty of stories still to be told, but mm-hmm. it definitely seems like she got a conclusion here that was pretty definitive. 
And it, I think so. Although, like, since Mother Righteous is going to continue to be a player in the game very clearly, you know, who knows? Does she get her revenge some other way? Right. That would be cool. All right, Chimera Watch. We've been doing Chimera it every Watch. week. Pretty sure, technically, we had none. You're, you're more welcome to fact-check me. I don't think we met anyone new. I, I do really dig Anti-Fortune being basically a preserved brain that Astral projects her young self. So, yeah, that, that's pretty neat. Uh, also, Ghost Rider Galactus... Definitely not one, but surely counts for like half points because he was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, that was extremely cool. So I think just on the sense that it was extremely cool, we can allow it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Nemesis spreading to the point where he is the spaceship. Pretty yeah, cool. That, that was fun. I, I also, felt... I hadn't really noticed until I was until we were just talking about it. Not the only giant head in space this this week. True. <laughs> Were you going to say I something mean, about him, though? About uh, well, I was just going to... I feel like it's got to be like a reference to something. I just don't know what. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, this all the space opera stuff has been been so like steeped in Star Wars, Star Trek, like, all that pulpy stuff. There probably is like a 60s space movie where... The ship is a giant. Yeah, it's either like like maybe an anime book I haven't read. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely a reference to something. I bet. Uh, I am just really quick flinging through this issue, looking to see if I see any chimeras, just because I'm interested. I'm interested now, Um, but no, no, none. (laughs) Which I mean, it kind of makes sense. A thousand, and that's a thousand years in. All she's trying to do is is keep the the Nightkin farm going at all. So if all the Nightcrawlers are just Nightcrawler, that's good enough. That's all she can get out of them 50 generations. Yeah, that does make sense. I want to know your thoughts on Moira being a major player again. Hopeful. Okay. You know, I liked Moira being a major player when she was a major player up until, you know, the X lives and death happened i'm hopeful that something something good comes of it something interesting i mean it seems obvious she's gonna be relevant to fall of x so yeah maybe they'll be able to give her character some depth i really i feel like hickman had given her a really interesting angle by the end of inferno Mm -hmm. like she was clearly enemy number one but like also she wasn't truly evil like she 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 had a justification, and then I feel like X Live and X Dead basically, we've talked about it. She made her into mustache twirling super like she literally steals people's skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were we were very down on her for a while. So if this can peel back some layers and give us give us a Moira with depth again, I'm I'm super into it, and. All of these current writers have kind of given us reason to believe they can. Yeah, I mean, if anyone can do it, they can. And you know, we still like we still got some time with the denouement of the sins of sinister. Oh book. yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk about it uh, this upcoming week. Both issues are in some ways tied to it because we've got 
the Immortal X-Men that's a, an immediate follow-up to Dominion and then the fall of X-Books gonna the uh, before the fall, Sons of X, that's going to follow up on all of the size side of the story. So I think, I think we got a lot of epilogue that's going to clear up some stuff for us. Mm-hmm. But before we get to an epilogue, we have to finish the story. We are the anti-Cody Rhodes. We're not going to settle for some B-tier championship on the other brand that our daddy didn't even know existed. We are right. going to... We're getting our dad's belt. Yeah, we're getting our dad's belt. Since the Sinister Dominion, you ready? I am ready. Since the Sinister Dominion, written by Kieran Gillen, drawn by Paco Medina and Lucas Warneck, opens with Mr. Sinister standing over John Ironfire's body, as seen in Storm of the Brotherhood number three, asking Mora where she is, presumably on walkie-talkies. She's at the vault, hoping Sinister convinced John Ironfire to open it. Their banter is interrupted by the Juggernaut bullet doing its thing. So we're, we sort of took a step back a few, whatever, ten minutes, and then it catches up with what we just talked about. Moira announces she's going to kill the clone and start the reset. Sinister protests, but not, but a not-so-dead John Ironfire spears him, revealing he, uh, he used his ability to turn his blood to metal to survive the betrayal. As Moira heads into the vault, Ironfire chokes Sinister. We see Beast is taking control of Emma's forces, and she orders the Cuckoos to drop the Quiet Council's psychic barricades, giving Xavier and Sin, who's busy forcefully spreading serenity, the heads up on everything going on. Realizing the significance of Moira clones, he decides to take over after projecting out of Beast's stomach and putting out a call to all his dreamers. As John Ironfire and Sinister realize Xavier is assaulting them, John slices his forehead and uses the blood to form a helmet fit for the leader of the Brotherhood. Sinister immediately respects the move and congratulates him on using Magneto's trick to block the psychics. John still intends to kill him, but Sinister suggests the truce by offering him some Bobby Drake DNA to produce even more blood. Uh, the newly amped up Ironfire takes off to strike Xavier, who mistakes him for Magneto. John assures him he isn't Eric, but he was always right as he strikes through uh, him, Xavier as Ego, the living planet, which was just awesome to look at (laughs) sinister reaches moira at the door to the vault they duke it out over whether sinister gets to upload his information or not and sinister actually convinces her to let him do it he uploads the data before deciding to try his other contingency turns out embedded in his gene tampering is a failsafe where he can harvest every x gene carrier killing everyone and achieve dominion he does that instead and is swatted away Turns out, another one of the Essex clones, presumably, has already achieved Dominion. Despondent, Sinister pouts. It was all for nothing. As jo- as Ironfire approaches and beheads him for killing an entire galaxy. Moira resets the galaxy. Sinister wakes up at the beginning of Immortal X-Men number 10 and starts his download. Surprised, it holds over a thousand years of information. Instead, there's an explosion, and he gets a message, a recording, from Moira, explaining everything with the Ace of Hearts and the fact that he will never achieve Dominion. Then, the entire engine explodes. But, it turns out their X-Genes were deactivated, so reality still exists. Finally, Moira 7 RP4 is grown. And that, that is an angry Rasputin 4, who immediately takes Sinister into custody. Mother Righteous discovers a new wing in this library that is the Sanctum Malefica, uh, and it happens to be full of her own notes from a now-deleted future. On Krokoa, we see uh, the surviving Quiet Council storming to arrest Sinister for his big attack in, Mor- in Immortal 10, 
when destiny suddenly stops, feels sudden massive changes to the future. An ecstatic Rasputin arrives with Sinister in custody, and after filling everyone in, Sinister is banished to the pit. Rasputin introduces Mother Righteous, who gives a very selective recap and is hailed as a hero. She delivers the bad news. Hope, Xavier, Emma, Exodus are all potentially infected with Sinister's genes. So remember, they, they he already killed them in, in Immortal 9. So they decide it, it's not good enough to step down from leadership. They have to sequester themselves to the pit. And so the end of the event is the four of them being taken down into the pit while Storm thanks Mother Righteous on behalf of all of Krakoa. Oh, that was such a good ending. Yeah, that, I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. The, the fact that, Sto- the, that it was Storm thanking Mother Righteous, the one who seemed like she actually could be ahead of everything, Storm seemed like she saw through Sinister shit, she sees through Shaw's shit, but she fell from her MR shit. <sighs> so good, dude. I love it. it. Yeah, absolutely. What an end. Ugh. Uh, also, the recap was already so long. I couldn't fit in some of the just amazing comedy moments Kieran Yellen still managed to fit in there. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Keith Ride has this line when Rasputin explains that she he's she's from... Uh, a, a post-apocalypse future that they have to prevent from happening. She's like, oh, this is one of those. Just the delivery is so good. I think I'm going to make a t-shirt of that panel, but it'll be like, oh, this is one of those podcasts, and then our logo. <laughs> <laughs> Your boy, John oh, Ironfire. John Ironfire, Going man. full Magneto with a bl- helmet so made of good. blood. <laughs> the helmet made of blood, and just like... Him being like a helmet befitting the leader of the Brotherhood. It's just like, mm, let's go. Also, if Magneto comes back, he needs to adopt the horns. The I, Magneto uh-huh. helmet with horns was a perfect upgrade. I loved it. Absolutely. Ironfire, he was kind of another MVP. His line when he, he when he attacked Xavier as Ego, great. Such a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, just the, and not Eric, but he was right. Just, mm, mm. So we kind of had a feeling, well, we knew Rasputin was coming back somehow, and we had a feeling it would be Mother Righteous somehow pertained information. Really interesting the way they chose to go about that, that it was Moira who actually did the reset. Yeah. Sinister should have had the download. They found other way, a, a different means for bringing both of them back. Speaking of different means of bringing people back, Joe of X, wherever you are, you owe me five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> No one went swimming through a black hole. <laughs> it's true. Uh, no, but seriously, Rasputin being a creation of the, the Moyer engine or the remnants of it was a pretty cool move. I did not see coming. Yeah. Mother Righteous getting an additional wing to her library is a super interesting imagery for the way information is delivered to her. Yeah. I kind of like it, though, because like oh, it's I all think... magical and stuff. So It makes me I – get, I get – I get she is probably just going to be an X-Men villain and probably isn't... I mean, I hope Mother Righteous is here to stay, right? Like, I hope yeah. she's the real deal, but there's always a chance she's just a one-off. But I would love I, to see her, her up against Doctor Strange. I feel like that would be a really fun route to go at some point. 
I don't think that you get a design that's that cool and that hot and then you throw it away. I just... <laughs> Do you keep all four? Like, are we going to have... I, I don't think you need to. Stasis around? Yeah. I don't think you need to keep all four. I think you can get away with, um, you know, at least just Sinister and Righteous for a while. Maybe they come back in other ways at some point, but... I do feel like Mother Righteous has earned her place as a, a core member of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Dude, how cool would a movie... Like, I want to see a live-action version of Mother Righteous so bad now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just... You know, they, they have fun with a lot of the magic, mystic stuff. And I think that she would add a lot of depth to it. Um, At what point did she become the main villain of this like, I feel like know, it was so subtle that it, was. It, it shifted to her. Just the shift was so subtle, but also like telegraphed. Like, of course, the person that's willing to sacrifice so many lives, just throwing the throwing willing participants at a barricade is evil. Do, do you remember issue one, issue two ish? Us being like, is she actually a good guy? Is she like right. the one? Is she is she his love? Is she like? All of the good parts of him extracted? No. No. She's just as fucked as all the other Essexes. <laughs> uh, what I was going to ask was, who do you think achieved Dominion? Is it actually one of one of the other three? Um, that's a can great... They, can they ever actually tell us? I don't think they can. Like, I, I, I think that has to stay a secret at least for a while. Or maybe ever. Like, how do you ever unopen that can of worms once you're like, right. oh, there's this character that lives outside of, of time. Like, they can never face a consequence. So you right. can't give a character literally a you you exist outside of of all time and space and can never ever have anything bad ever happen to you because you you have achieved dominion. Like, so I feel like they're gonna have to call, that. That's just a mystery. They'll have to say a mystery theoretically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know who could who could achieve dominion at that point. How how did they well, do it? A random person on Reddit threw out their it'll be Cyclops. Oh, because he's likely dying in fall from a lot of the teasers we've got. So that's a good way that you have him die, and he comes back in a few years by revealing, "I can't die. I've achieved dominion." But I do think it it would be most interesting if it's not one of the Sinisters. And that could easily be explained that the only reason he assumed it was one of the other three is his ego won't let him assume anyone other than an Athanat Lassics pulled it off. Right, like, exactly. He had, he had no evidence to assume that. He just goes, oh no, it was one of the others. Because Yeah, he, he doesn't know who achieved Dominion. He just knows they flicked him away. Yeah. Well, I also saw a lot of people theorizing that it's it's him from one of Moira's past lives, most likely the one where he had the the pit. Uh, but if that's the case, too, I, yeah, I just like if I don't know, it's it's tricky. I can't, I I if I was writing, I wouldn't have a way out of it if I decided to reveal who it was. That said, I think it could be really cool if the right person did reveal that to us. Yeah. I yeah. Oh man, now I'm I'm wondering. I'm just like, hmm, what what could it be? It's yeah, there's lots of cool options out there. The Cyclops thing it, it's fun in like an irony kind of way that his 
it was someone from the Summers family. Oh, Chimera Watch, but I don't think there's any in this one either, right? Um, maybe kind of, sort of, because they have the uh, the neighbor knots. You're right. They, that was the debut of the Namor knots. They were cool. Yeah. And then you know, like those, like any of that kind of stuff. Um, even like beast cuckoos. Um, well, we saw them before, though, right? They were in. That's true. Like he he stepped up. He went from being Emma's like groveling whatever right hand man, uh, hand of the king. Like when we were talking the Game of Thrones references, to he he decided to take charge. The cuckoos didn't seem real into him being in charge. And then mm. I loved how easily Xavier just <laughs> was like, oh, well, you should have called me earlier, but all right, I'll take it over. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do we count Xavier as Ego the Planet as a chimera? <laughs> I, think he was, I think he was just psychically controlling it. But that was Fair. cool enough. Again, kind of like the Galactus thing. Counts for half points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, do we just count that for the fact that it was cool imagery? <laughs> I cannot get over how cool it was that they set up as basically a throwaway gag in the first issue. Here's Juggernaut getting shot through Thanos. And people talked about that. That was a highly talked about page just because it was so awful. And then it ends up being one of the most critically important moments in the full thousand years was that they fired him for that exact moment. So that he ended up at... Just so good. It was so good. God, I cannot get over how good these guys are. This whole this whole writing team. Yeah. We know that the issue of Immortal that comes out next week, the kind of epilogue-ish issue, literally opens with them getting those four out of the pit. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hoping that that's kind of a misdirect, that they're getting out just momentarily to make, take a vote or to be in, uh, tested in some way, and then they're getting thrown back in. Because I think that's a really interesting plot point to have them in there for a while. I hope so, too. And um, if it is that they get pulled out right away next week, then this is why the solicitations are the devil. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the previews. Because that, that wasn't in the solicitations. That was in like those preview pages they put right. up. But... Although, I will say, it was originally not even in the, the pages released now. It was in those pages they showed at the uh, Comic-Con like a month ago. So mm-hmm. it was early enough that it was a real dick move if they really are just being let out. Unlike the complaints about the people before the story started about, that makes the entire event not matter. Like, that'll make the ending kind of feel like it didn't matter if it's wrapped up that quickly. Yeah. Unless they have some sort of good turn to make it make sense for them to come out. Karen Gillan has earned some runway here. He's earned the right to to get a chance to prove it to us. Mm -hmm. I agree completely. Uh, Do you have anything else on the Dominion issue specifically before we jump over to talking about the crossover as a whole? Nothing, Nothing about it specifically. No, I don't think... So let's talk to the Sinister as a whole. Mm-hmm. I loved it. If you had, if, I, if I had to put a 1 to 10 score on it, it's a perfect 10 to me. It might be my favorite pure X event of all time. I, 
I am I am inclined to agree with you. I think I'd rate it a 10 as well. If anything, it's because I have to go back and read X of Swords. You know? That's fair. Um, I, I don't know if you saw, I want to get together to make up for last week's episode. I want to get together a round table and we're going to kind of do some off-the-cuff updated rankings. I want to see where everyone is sitting with their X-Men crossovers. You know I love X of Swords, but feel like this for me, what set this apart was the cohesion. The fact that it was a tight 11 issues. That, the, the that week, is the big thing. The weekly hype, every issue mattered. It, oh, I just... Dude. Yeah. I think to get in, get out, do 11 issues, you're not derailing everything. You're just telling a quick 11-issue story that's at that level of quality, that's that important, does that many new things, has that many cool ideas, and is that much fun. Yeah, you know what? I don't need to reread shit. It's the, it's my favorite. It's so good. I have... Yeah. This has been an amazing year. I can't believe the year... Like We lucked out when we decided to do this podcast. Absolutely. They put on, uh, and we're not talking, like Judgment Day, I do not consider an X-Men event. It was a Marvel event that was X-Men heavy, but we got to cover that, and then they immediately head into this, and like, it is a golden age right now. I, Kieran Gillen can steer any ship, and they need to keep Al Ewing and Cy Springer as his, like, hype men, because they make a great team. Absolutely. It's the, they're such a good trio uh, to work with. And I would, I would read anything that they wanted to write about. And truly like, I know that you, you've said it before and I feel like you've caught a little bit of flack for saying it because Hickman is so beloved, but this might be my favorite just like X era now. Yeah. uh, I, I I definitely, I will fall on that sword. I, I do. I prefer destiny like la- the last year from when destiny started when immortal one and x-men red one came out to now over the hickman era i i think the three of them like co running the office has been even more enjoyable than hickman running the office was for me yeah and i i, I understand that's a minority opinion i'm okay with that i'm okay with because it has been an amazing year and i'm really hoping it can st- sustained through fall of x i think as long as they're given the loose leash they are right now i think it can be i think they can definitely keep it going i think so too i mean it is it is the most interesting thing going in comics right now you know um they're like as far as like uh groups of titles you know they're sure there's, there's single titles out there that are great but when we're talking about groups of titles or just like eras and stuff like that, like it, it's unparalleled. Oh yeah, no, I, especially. I, I was gonna say if you want to specify superhero comics, but when you're talking about a wide brand like that, I don't know if there is another like something non-superhero related either. For an entire like division or office, there is no one close to what they're doing. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. I can think of, like if I do my top ten for this year there'll be books in the top five that aren't x-men but yeah the the entire x-men office will be in the top 10 you know what i mean like there, there, yeah. there's so many amazing books here they all work together so well so i agree with you there's nothing that para- there's nothing that compares yeah uh going in i i knew i was going to love this event because 
Sinister is my favorite X-Men villain and it was all my favorite writers and I love alternate futures and just, I so I, I I built it up before it started. Curiously enough, this event might have made it so Sinister is no longer my favorite X-Men villain. I might be full on board with the Mother Righteous train. She might I be was the wondering. best X-Men villain of all. I was wondering if Mother Righteous took the throne. She's basically a better version of Mr. Sinister in a oh, lot of absolutely. ways. I mean, I just, so great. Better at planning for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Having a Sinister that embraces magic is so interesting and such a cool twist. And, and she's a character created basically from scratch in 2022, 2023 now. But, and, and yet she's so unique and so good. Oh, all right. I, yeah, I love them. I don't care where we go from here. We've got so many books to get through. Uh, I have them kind of in a crapshoot order on the notes there. Is there one you want to tackle next? Honestly, you want to just go in order and hit Lethal Legion? <laughs> it's Lethal Legion number two, written by Charlie Jane Anders, drawn by Anita Balam, opens with Wolfsbane and Morgan stumbling into an anti-mutant survivalist camp while fleeing the generic monster living in the sewer from last issue. Talk about trapped between a rock and a hard place. Meanwhile, Escapade, Cerebella, and Scout, dressed as villains, show up to Nefaria's castle in their ruse to join. The Count announces the tryouts as a chance to become legends, but a funny data page reveals the therapy session where Nefaria decided to hold these tryouts because he basically feels inferior to all the other supervillains. Uh, Wolfsbane and Morgan discover a second underground camp, this time just a generic homeless camp. Uh, she figures out there these are the same tunnels where the Marauders killed the Morlocks in the Mutant Massacre. They decide to draw the creature deeper into the tunnels and away from this camp, too. The first round of tryouts go easy for the new mutants, and back on Krakoa, Mirage and Karma look for Scout and Cerebella. Deferia interviews Escapade, disguised as Blaster Dame. I love their villains. Costumes yeah. are so good. And convinces, <laughs> her, convinces her to get drunk. Wolfsbane manages to tame the monster that's been chasing them. Drunk Escapade gives away their identity just as Cerebella is about to successfully heist. Oh, and she accidentally steals Gabby's claws? Drunk teenagers. Okay, so this has been a kind of weird mini so far. Yeah. There's a lot of fun stuff to it. It feels oddly reliant and yet disconnected from the arc of New Mutants that Charlie Janus wrote, like, like, because she took over, was it three issues or four? How many ever issues it was? And it was about these characters. Mm -hmm. But then the story feels like it relies on us knowing their characterizations there while simultaneously not holding on any of that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, uh, I'm really not sure how I feel about the mini as a whole. Yeah, I mean, we're only two issues in, so I'm not hating enough to be like, I'm tired of this. I want to give it more leeway. Uh, we're going to talk about others in this same kind of tread water between Destiny of X and Fall of X minis that I dislike more. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I'm more invested in this one than some of the others we're going to talk about. But at the same time, it does just leave me wanting to know what's actually next for the New Mutant. Yeah. Like, this feels like this is treading water before we get the real next New Mutants arc. 
I mean, yeah, these are absolutely, you know, the the filler episodes if New Mutants was an anime, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Like, okay, but let's do something with it. Let's let's do some more work with it. That's you know my my protective nature over Laura. That mm-hmm. anytime Laura's misused her and that does extend down the honey badge. Like that does extend to Gabby. Yeah. Her characterization here is not too great either. Like, I don't know why they included her just to be the third wheel, essentially, for the trio that are heisting. I don't know. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I think, I I feel like, and this might be a hot take, but I, why does it seem like everyone has such a hard time characterizing the Wolverine family? Yeah. Like, I feel like it, like they all are getting the short end of the stick a lot recently. Well, they're such great characters when they're done right. So it's really frustrating that no one seems to be able to get them right these days. And it's... Yeah, but it's it's yeah, it's a fun enough mini. It's not as weird as some of the others. Like I still am enjoying reading it for the most part. Yeah, uh, tying in Mute Massacre was like. For how kind of lighthearted and funny a lot of the issue was, that was a good way to bring the mood back down for a couple pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's interesting because New Mutants seems like a book that's trying to bring in new fans. Like it's it's the here's the young characters, here's the so it's weird to tie in an '80s story that a lot of them probably won't get the reference points. But right, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's teaching some comic book history to them in a cool way. Because it mm-hmm. was accessible. Like, the letter was meaningful. And I, maybe, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. But I will be honest. The majority of my thought is I can't wait to find out what's next. Yeah, same. And, and I mean, like, the thing is, is, like, uh, Charlie Jean Anders is doing a good enough job that, like, I want the next thing. I would be happy with her. Yeah. Uh, you just know, steering us- that ship. Just give us proof that it's is a ship being steered and not just a dinghy floating in the water. Like, give us, let us know there's a direction we're going. Yeah, I want to know that it's headed somewhere. Especially because like this feels so disconnected from the ending of New Mutants initially yeah. as well that it just it seems like Charlie has come in and has been handed two incomplete stories and said, "Make these work," you know. And I want to see what can happen with like a full complete fleshed out story well and again it's disconnected but it still relies on it enough that it's not going to be accessible to new readers i don't understand who it's for right but yeah we'll have to wait and see i suppose well and if we're getting speculative we got all the fall of x books and there's no new mutants on them so i don't know how long we're going to be waiting it's frustrating thought yeah War College? Let's do War College. Bishop, War College, number three, written by Jay Holtham and drawn by Sean Damian Hill, opens with the two bishops addressing the Quiet Council of Earth-63. Their Professor X links them all psychically so they can share their respective histories for a better understanding. The Council is shocked. He comes from a world filled with so much hate, and when he mentions he needs to find Tempo, he discovers in this reality she's not only a mutant, but is an important human scientist. Back at 616, our Moira and Phalong talk about the importance of finding the pit. The Fenris twins are still working on it, though Andreas is still currently merged with a moss. Andrea uses a knockout gas grenade to separate them. Orcus is ordered to tie up a moss and restart the drill. 
Wrong slide, and the rest of the War College kids realize the Fenris Twins' plans and how dangerous opening the pit could be. Back on Earth-36, the bishops decide to go talk to their version of Tepco in hopes of finding ours. Earth-63, Destiny warns him that there's trouble a-brewing in their New York City, which has peaceful harmony between mutants and humans in contrast to ours. They meet with Dr. Heather Tucker. Uh, he confronts her briefly before an explosion interrupts them, and they are confronted by the Human Liberation Front. Somehow this book has way too much going on and way too little going on at the same time. Yeah, like, honestly, my thoughts on it right now is, like, this sure is a comic book that is happening. Like, We're past the halfway mark. Yeah. None of these plots have moved enough to be past the halfway mark. It's moving like a snail on all fronts. And I'm just like, why? Why why can't we just have like one plot at this point? Like I feel like you could easily have a story that's the story about uh the Andreas twins working for Orcas trying to open the pit. Perfectly interesting comic book. You could have all this bishop stuff, be perfectly interesting comic book. But the way this is paced, neither of those plots develop enough. Yeah. Literally all that happened in the B plot was she pulled out her grenade and it immediately resolved the big cliffhanger of last issue. That's not interesting. Yeah. I, uh... It's not that it's bad. I'm just not enjoying it. Nothing yeah. is happening that makes me feel anything. You know, the the most I've enjoyed is like, oh man, these Earth-63 designs sure are cool. Yeah, they look really cool and like I like the idea. The premise is actually pretty cool. That it's a it's a world where where the humans and the mutants never had conflict. Although clearly the existence of human liberation front is putting a lens on on that premise. But we're not getting to explore that. They're not spending any time exploring it. We're we're getting really really decompressed scenes that stretch things that could be just a panel or two into multiple pages, so that this story that's already crowded with too many plots is also moving at a snail's pace. Yeah. And we have two issues left to resolve this. And we don't really know what the conflict is yet. Yeah. Why is he there? What, how did he get booted to another world? And what is he going to do to help this world? He only has 40. He has his share of 42 pages or whatever. Whatever it is after the ads get taken out. Is it 20 or 21 pages? Something like that. He's got basically 20 pages to to help them, to figure out what, what help they need, help them, and then make it back to our world to presumably save Amos. But and we still haven't seen a single college. Like, yeah. We haven't seen him actually teaching anyone jack shit yet. <laughs> right. There's nothing war college about this. Yeah. I, I don't hate it. It's an interesting premise. I want to like it. I enjoy what's there, but I'm really confused by how little is there. (laughs) I feel bad. We got to get Omen on for issue four or five, because I know he in general really is enjoying this series, and I want him to to sell me on the love for it. Me too. And he he had a good sales pitch for for the issue he was on to talk about, so I want him on to hype me up about it again, because... I struggled. I struggled coming up with even things to say because so little happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because I'm at the end of what I feel about it right now. I'm just <laughs> like, well, okay. Well, hey, 
Do you want to talk about a book I do have feelings about? Yeah. I don't promise any of them are good. <laughs> let's uh, let's dive right in, huh? X Force, written by Benjamin Percy, drawn by Robert Gill, opens with the Quiet Council discussing Beast with Nightcrawler and Sinister conveniently just not there. Why would Percy have to bother addressing timeline or the fact that it's a shared universe? Leave that to the real writers. While they all seem to acknowledge how far Beast has fallen, they manage to sidestep responsibility and instead of holding him accountable for the literal war crimes, focus on if his actions are bad for Krakoa. In the end, they decide to just ignore Beast, letting him operate on his own while Sage is put in charge of X-Force with a Quiet Council member on the team for accountability. Colossus volunteers. Sever Blackmore decides to release all of Beast's prisoners, while Deadpool helps Black Tom with ideas for a new X-Force base, including a Mount Rushmore of just Deadpool faces. Luckily, Sage has her own idea, a treehouse that is symbolically both part of and apart from Krakoa. Laura Kenny is playing a bar game that's basically just punch each other real hard, but Sage shows up and recruits her to be the new Wolverine on the team. She doesn't get to celebrate for long, though. All of Beast's old prisoners and experiments start crash-landing on Krakoa, and Laura is surprised at how good it feels to save the day, even though she was just on the X-Men, like, yesterday? Anyway, the issue ends with old man Quentin Quire showing up with a new glowing pink sword and announcing he needs help. So, uh, we'll get to Laura. We will get there, because I have, I have thoughts, but Storm is still the best Quiet Council member. Yeah, we just we just talked about how she kind of blew it with Mother Righteous, right? She didn't see through her shit, mm -hmm. but she's the only one here, the only one who's like, "Hey, hey, guys, that stuff Beast dude was pretty messed up. Maybe we shouldn't just forgive him." The only one. Yeah, absolutely. I Kate mean, doesn't speak up. Emma doesn't speak up. No one speaks up but Storm. Everyone is just doing a terrible job, and of course, Chuck, being the normal asshole he is, is like. Was he really that bad? Like, come on. Like, what the fuck? Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, this this is where Percy is going to be forced to play ball with everybody else. Mm -hmm. I do think, and it's probably going to play out more in Wolverine than in X-Force, but like, Logan's going to catch Beast at some point, right? Yeah. And he's going to bring him to the Quiet Council, and they're going to, again, refuse to deal with it, right? They're going to do some slap on the wrist thing. And that's what causes, I assume, Logan and whoever else. Like, that that's going to be the fall of X. Is, is it, it's going to just continue to push out the X-Men who have a soul, who have a conscious. And yeah. that's how eventually we're going to end up with... There's uh, one, of, one of the, the solicitations has a tagline of, like, the, the, the Quiet Council is now just one. Presumably, it's, it's everyone abandons Xavier, right? And I... This has to be tied right. into that. Eventually, this has to bite him in the ass. <laughs> right. And if it doesn't, if this isn't tied into that, then, like, what a wholesale failure on this book's part. Completely. Absolutely. Not that it makes it not a failure if it does tie in. There's still plenty of other ways it's a total failure. But you're right. And that would be especially bad. Um Storm was, again, a stand-in for us, I felt like. like she was mm -hmm. there screaming, like, the audience no, you guys, like, he's a piece of shit. But it was, I, I made the joke in my summary, it was really frustrating that just because they didn't want to answer where this lines up with Sense of Sinister, they just don't, don't put Nightcrawler and Sinister in the scene. It's a yeah. really important Quiet Council meeting, but they're just not present. They're, they're just out on, like, a on a stroll or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Too bad there's not substitute Wyatt Council members, like substitute teachers. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> uh, old man Quentin Quire. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I like pretty the cool. design. Um, Do you remember... I brought it up a few issues ago because we were really afraid that Peacock Tattoo Man was going to be Quentin Quire. Mm-hmm. That they really hyped up the next time you see Quentin Quire. Yeah. It's going to be just a badass move. You're just going to blow minds. You're going to blow. Yeah, I was like, this might be my nitpick corner thing since it was just like a last page reveal instead of like him actually doing anything but the whole the next time you see quentin choir it will be epic and then it's just like okay so he was like a pink merlin from disney sword in the stone okay like what uh... <laughs> well it's also maybe if we had never seen the the age play thing before Right. We literally just saw this played out with old man cable became kid cable for a while. Like we've seen it. We've seen characters switch from being the kid on the team to the old man and then back again. It's just Yeah. But we literally right now have old Laura. <laughs> That's literally true. right That's now. True. <laughs> uh excuse me, you mean Talon? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> um But yeah, I'm just like I, I, I'm like, I'm gonna give it next issue to be epic before I truly, like, you know, come down I, hard on it. I think it's fair, though. We did see him. and that, Yeah. Like, other other than him, for some reason, having a new version of the Soul Sword that's pink, like, mm-hmm. nothing that exciting. Yeah. Like, by the legal letter of the law, we have now seen Quentin Quire <laughs> once again. And it was I, quite frankly, did not feel epic about it. I am willing... I am willing, out of the kindness of my heart, to give it one more issue because before we file our litigation, yeah, before I start going on a on a full blown rant, that's what I'm willing to do. That is my kindness to you, Benjamin Percy. But Mr. Percy, let's make it clear: you are not getting off without a rant today because we need to talk about Laura. Bring one. it, one, <laughs> Laura. It's had a whole lot of characterization in the last year, two years, three years. Like, she had exterminators. We saw her personality. Mm-hmm. And here, she's like right back to feral, I just want to fight in a bra- bar brawl thing. But even more egregious, and I called it out already, but she was just on the X-Men. Got hailed as a hero because she was on the X-Men. She was just on the exterminators they got hailed as heroes because they beat up uh what was it dracula's cronies she knows what it's like to be a hero i don't think she had to join the mutant cia and be like oh being a part of this covert operation that almost never does its things publicly has given me a new taste of what it's like to be a public hero and be praised for doing heroic things i guess i will join you sage that made zero sense from both a what X-Force is standpoint and a who Laura Kenny is now standpoint. 
You're on notice, Benjamin Percy. You're on notice. I mean, how hard is it? You're not even, like, you're not even playing ball with X-23 Deadly Regenesis or whatever. Like, (laughs) we're we're seeing this play out in a really boring retro miniseries coming out right now that's supposed to take place five, ten years ago. So she learned this lesson. (laughs) Like, you're you're not even playing ball with that? Yeah. Like, what? You're right. We're getting a lot of mischaracterized Wolverines these days, and I'm not real happy about it. When when Talon is getting the best characterization in the Brood issue where her and uh, the crew all have some bonding, like, that's a bad sign when that is the best Laura Kenny characterization we get in a month that has like nine Laura Kenny issues. Yeah, and Wagnerine was pretty cool. I'm, I, I but that's not even that's not even a it's true family snicked member. You know, yeah. like this is fair. You're on notice, Marvel Comics. Fix your Wolverine problems. Fix it. <laughs> you have so many, and it's so easy to make them all people's favorites. You have so many, and they're all awesome. Like, when Logan is the least interesting, when the original is somehow the one I care by far the least about, that tells you you have a good crew of people. And Percy still been getting that one wrong, too. <laughs> That's true, too. I hadn't really ever thought about it, but the family snicked. If I had to rank them, I would rank the original the lowest, because I do love me some Gabby. And you yeah. know I've got Laura number one, so... Yeah. And, out of I'm respect like for me, biggest. you put Fang somewhere up there. Oh, see, I'm not the world's biggest Fang fan, but he is really interesting, so yeah, it probably would bump Logan all the way to the bottom. But anyways, anyways, X-Force. You know, Percy got some compliments from us in the last, maybe both of the last issues, but at least the last one. So. Right? But all kudos were moved. Give me back the cookie. You are, you are demoted back to my least favorite. <laughs> it's true. I'm making the written by Benjamin Percy t-shirt. It's happening. (laughs) Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. Betsy Braddock, let's do it. And we're actually, we're only at an hour right now, so we're actually doing okay. Yeah. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number three, written by T.D. Howard and drawn by Vasco Georgiev, opens with Brian Braddock and Megan leaving Betsy to babysit little Maggie while they go to a show in London. Betsy consults with some of her multiversal counterparts about Morgan Le Fay, learning that she's been squarely in 616 for a while. They quickly figure out why, when Brian and Megan end up brawling with Morgan's Captain Britain, that fury that was painted with the Union Jack. Uh, Betsy shows up to save the day by tricking the fury into thinking Brian died, and her and Rachel go visit Pete Wisdom and Faiza Hussein for some news. Betsy is worried she made a mistake cutting herself off completely from Saturnine. And uh, Rachel, the ever-jealous girlfriend, is not too happy about that. Morgan has apparently grown impatient with Reuben and decides to just discard him. In the end, Betsy meets with Tony Stark, but Morgan instead meets with Victor Von Doom. Alright, this has become like the normal for Teeny Howard's uh, Otherworld miniseries. I think she was told this was an ongoing and it got cut to a mini or something. Mm-hmm. There was no reason for them to just discard the Ruben plot here, unless it was a matter of, oh, your ten issues is now five, and so you have to wrap it up. It yeah. just seemed really weird that they built that up and then literally just discarded it in this issue. I, I have to agree. Yeah, it just it, it seems like yeah, Teeny Howard just keeps getting the the rug pulled out, you know, yeah. and it's I don't know, it it's seems unfair. unfair. Yeah, I, they're not my favorite 
stories, but no. they are fun enough that they should be given the runway they need. If it's gonna only be a five issue story, your writers need to know that in time to actually make a coherent five issue story. The amount of time that we spent waiting on that man with the goddamn peanut peacock tattoo, and we can't even get a full Betsy Braddock, like nah, nah, nah. <laughs> it's absolutely infuriating. And like I said, I'm not even like the world's biggest fan, but even as just a moderate fan, I, I, it just seems like for justice to be served, she should be allowed to tell her whole story. That's It's not even that I particularly care about these characters. I don't really care about the other world stuff at all, but Teeny Howard deserves better. Yeah, agreed. I do think the setup of bringing in Tony Stark and Victor Von Doom uh, from Morgan Le Fay's story should be really fun. I really enjoy when they allude to past stories. If that, like, I don't want a full-on Percy thing where where like there's a reveal of oh this villain this villain is the son of this this villain from eighty four. You have to have read all of Claremont to truly appreciate what why they matter. But just including, hey. These two, these two have been tied to her for a while, and they're both getting brought in now. Oh, it's gonna right raise the stakes. That to me is a cool way to incorporate history while still pushing a story forward. Yeah, it, it's way more fun when it's more of like a huh, huh, you <laughs> yeah. know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And I'm gonna throw in a. I think I called it. I feel like the Rachel being jealous of Saturnine thing is totally supporting. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember if I said this issue one or last issue, but I think that the long-term setup here is that Rachel's going to take over the role of what Merlin and Saturnine had, like the head of uh, the, 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 the Starlight Citadel. I don't remember what that actual position is called, but like the head of all magic. I, mm-hmm. I think Rachel's going to end up there eventually. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think that tracks. I think setting up that she's jealous of Saturnine's apparent love for Betsy, which I don't remember it being. I mean, maybe maybe at some point it was in the subtext more than I ever realized. I always thought she just begrudged her because she wanted Brian back. I don't remember there being that much like tension, but maybe there was. I don't. I don't think there was as much as they seem to say there was. But All right, so maybe maybe that's a little bit of retcon of. Yeah. Oh yeah, she always flirted with you. <laughs> Oh, Do you have any other man. thoughts? I, I really feel bad that a lot of these in-between minis aren't spurring more conversation, but it's it's so obvious that they were the bridge while the other writers were doing Sinister Sinister, which is a sacrifice I'm willing to make, but they don't leave a ton for conversation. There's Yeah, there's not a lot of meat on the bones anyways, um, so whatever. I... I, I wish these writers were given better stuff to work with uh, because then I know that we'd have more to say about it, but they weren't, so we don't. And, like, I genuinely, I really like Teeny. I think Teeny yeah. Howard's great, so. All right. Deadpool 6. Let's do it. Written by Alyssa Wong, drawn by... Deadpool. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna leave that in there because that's a fun Deadpool caliber. Uh, it's Mark Colo that draws it. I didn't. I left his name out apparently. Uh, Deadpool is at a cafe, gushing about how in love he is. While Drop and Ravana, two Italian assassins, spy on him from a rooftop. 
Turns out he's talking to Lady Deathstrike as he's asking her to watch Princess, the carnage dog from the first arc, while he takes Valentine Vuong on a date. She insists she doesn't like any of them, but agrees, and then asks Deadpool what they should do about the assassins on the roof, revealing that they were aware they were being watched. Meanwhile, Valentine's apartment is attacked by their own assassin, Mir. They fight Mir off while drop, drops Deadpool through an entire high-rise. Instead of finishing the fight, Lady Deathstrike insists that he hurries off so he isn't late for his date. Deadpool and Valentine go on a somehow both sweet and terrifying date, including a picnic of spoiled food and a trip to the planetarium, while Lady Deathstrike and Princess continuously foil the assassins in the background without Valentine noticing. Their luck runs out when they go to the movies and are attacked by Last Bite, another assassin, and Ravana again, but this time she's a werewolf. Lady Deathstrike has moved into the MVP slot for this issue. I love the premise that she's outwardly like, I hate you both, I'm stuck working with you, sure, I'll watch your dumb dog, but then clearly she is super invested in the romance. It's yeah. so fun. No, the the idea of like her rooting for this romance so much is very fun. Yeah. Uh, this was a fun issue. I really enjoyed this issue. This was this was my favorite issue of this run yet. I really, really had fun with it. It was totally the type of story I think leans to a Deadpool I enjoy and plays to Alyssa Wong's writing strengths. It was it was fun. It wasn't bogged down by drawn out fight scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what hurt the end of the first arc for me was a lot of it was just them just wailing on Harrower's creations and that's not what I go to Deadpool for. I don't go for the actual like I, I, I like seeing him get the snot beat out of him or him slicing people up but I don't want to see a long drawn out fight. This issue didn't have any of that. This was all character work and I really enjoyed it all. Yes, absolutely. The 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 fun of Deadpool to me is the goofy, quippy you know, that yeah. kind of and then like pop culture stuff. The the violence is very secondary for me. Yeah, absolutely. My, like I was I was having such a blast with this issue. I was literally uh sending screenshots to my friends, being like, yo, he's just like me, for real, for real. Uh especially when he's on his date and he's like, many great philosophers have written about love. <laughs> Simone de Beauvoir, Jean-Paul Sauté, Taylor Swift. <laughs> You know, and you know what? I think they're all right, especially Taylor Swift. I feel like she just gets me. <laughs> I setting him up with Valentine was such a great move because it it softened him. Where I feel like I've always kind of disliked how cynical is not the right word, but there there is an amount of of cynicism to like the Deadpool humor. But the sincerity of his love for Valentine is just so fun. And then, yeah, the the, the way she, Alyssa incorporates the pop culture stuff feels way more inspired than some of the, like, like Daniel Way, it felt so much like Family Guy cutaway jokes. Yes. And this feels really cohesive and fun and genuinely funny. I think a lot of it, like you were saying, with Alyssa Wong uh, giving Deadpool Valentine as yeah. a love interest, um, 
and so having this love interest, uh, especially the love interest like being non-binary and having the pop culture references being what they are, I think is steering Deadpool very, very specifically away from like the incel territory that he so frequently gets written yeah. into. Um, and that's where my problem with Deadpool always came from. Uh, yeah. So even, I think this very deliberate the of the writers. It was so often right, right. turned into an incel thing. And so to, active, yeah. to actively push back on that is really cool. Yeah, especially with like the pop culture references being like Taylor Swift and Twilight and things like yep. that. It's steering it towards a more specific uh, set. I will let the audience know, I got the Swifty references. I know, I know everyone made fun of me for not getting the Twilight jokes last issue. I'm not that out of touch. I know me some Swift. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on here. This is the one the one series my wife's reading. I got her reading Deadpool, and she's really enjoying it, and I can't wait. Uh, she waits till I get my physical, because I get my physical comics through DCBS, so she reads it physically when it comes in at the end of the month. So she hasn't read six yet. I can't wait to give her issues. That's going to be fun. That's going to be really fun. All right. I know we said we've got a ton of books to do. Excellent Extreme X-Men number five and Invisible Iron Man number five. Any of those you would be offended if I put them around the Marvel Universe since no. my nose is apparently no. clogging up. Let, let, they can all be around the Marvel Universe in perpetuity. <laughs> I may eventually want to talk about Excellent. I really enjoy that book, but... Mm -hmm. I'm not enjoying the new volume as much. Let's, you know, let's 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 do this the right way. Let's go around the universe. I just I gotta get the Claudio in every time. <laughs> Excellent. Did you did you even read it? I know you like didn't finish the first volume, so I, I kind of read it. I kind of read it. I wasn't like paying super attention, if I'm being honest. I, I I read it, but I feel like I didn't absorb much. I feel like this is a series that has been absolutely kneecapped by releasing six issues and then having a second arc planned from the beginning, but waiting a year to release it. Like mm -hmm. about all original characters. These characters only exist either in the first volume of Excellent or Ecstatics. Like, they're not... Other than Dupe, Dupe has some crossover appeal. But other than Dupe, none of them have, like, main X-Book crossover to them at all. And then there's some real pacing stuff where, again, we're two-fifths of the way through this new mini. It hasn't really done a ton yet. It hasn't really yeah. moved the needle on the actual fight or the competition between the two teams for for the the followers to stop the one thing i am really enjoying is i feel like each issue it's becoming more and more obvious that mr sensitive is just as bad of a dude like they're trying to paint like he wants to believe that uh the excellent are bad guys and that uh the new ecstatics are still not bad guys but like, they're all vain pieces of shit like right. every everybody in this book is a vain piece of shit so like that that it's interesting in that insofar as that but not a lot is happening so 
yeah, it's very easy to not talk much about this issue because it hardly moved the needle. Yeah, it, it did very little. Speaking of a book that totally did move the needle, let's talk Extreme X-Men number five that finally finished this incredibly boring sequel to an incredibly boring uh, Chris Claremont-Frank Miller joint from 1985. These, um, these Claremont re revisitation i don't know what to call them the these claremont nostalgia grabs uh suck shit <laughs> i they tease another one at the end i don't know if you caught that i like, didn't don't worry chris is coming back with another one and i was so worried it was gonna be that magneto so i'm really glad right. that that magneto series is uh jm de Mateus. i'm oh, so yeah. glad mm-hmm. that it's him and todd knock who has been killing on the cover so the art should be really fun i'm just i'm glad chris is not writing magneto because that would be really scary yeah i am curious to see what he is writing next probably another gambit thing when you say curious do you mean worried <laughs> no because i feel like at this point we've been burned enough times we're gonna always stick it in around the universe yeah. If it's right after the kids are born, it's just not getting read. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I, 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 I'm giving myself, you know what? You probably can average maybe eight books a week. And if that's where I'm going to be once the kids are born, I am not putting. No. Don't uh, waste one on a Claremont. Yeah, I'm not wasting crap. one on Claremont. <laughs> no. All right. And finally, the first five pages of Invincible Iron Man number five. Which, I will be honest, I forgot to read. <laughs> right. So, after the last issue, which I still see Drew issue four, not because of its ties to X-Men, but because he beats the crap out of Fay Long after they paint Fay Long as uh, Elon Musk, so that's great. Love so that. after that, he visits Emma Frost to be like, I need to know more about Fay Long. And so they go on a horse ride on the beach, which, good imagery, uh, and meet up with Sunspot. No, Sunfire? Sunfire. And are like, hey, let's let him read your, like, I'm going to mind dump, like, your memories to him so he could see what happened on Mars. And so then we see Phelan, like, take over Mars. And then Tony's like, hey, thanks. And then he calls some armor and he's like, you know, Emma, you remind me of someone. And she's like, I get that a lot and flies away. And that is the entire, entire Emma Frost inclusion in this issue. Uh, it does kind of tie into whatever Dugan is going to do, connecting it to X-Men in general, because we do find out Fei Long has built new, better Sentinels. But in the grand scheme of Krakoa, I still feel like that's a weird plot direction, because we've seen them take on way more impressive Sentinels and know that there's other sent. I don't know. Whatever. Stark tech is being used to make Sentinels and Tony's not real happy about it, but I feel like the bigger issue is what a bait and switch that was because yeah. I don't know if you remember when the solicitations dropped in, they were like, Emma Frost and Tony Stark, what's going on with them? What, what kind of love interest do they have? Are they getting married? What's going on, guys? Why are these books crossing over? And it is literally five pages. So I guess maybe maybe she's in the next issue some more. But this Hopefully. was the one that had her on the cover. So I'm right. very confused. Well, our double-length episode only ended up about an hour and 15. So yeah. Hey, 
That's not bad. Hey, we did pretty good. And, you know, I still consider it an El Rocco Public Radio Super Show. <laughs> Long as we don't go for the new – I because I keep referencing it, WWE introduced a new World Heavyweight Championship that's going to be on the other show than the one that uh, – and it's totally ruining the Cody Rhodes story, which – our, our guy Keegan is like the world's biggest Cody Rhodes fan, so I, I, I like okay. to tease him I, about. I need to clear the air about this, given given the Araco Public Radio wrestling community. Okay, I have no ill will against Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, listen. Okay, I never implied you did. No, I know this is for <laughs> this is for everybody. Okay, listen, I. When I grew up, growing up, I didn't get to watch a lot of wrestling growing up. I mostly relied on, like, message boards and, like, friends at school and watching at friends' houses every once in a while, right? So I'm newer to the wrestling game as far as, like, watching and purchasing, right? Like, I want to say 2016 was, like, the first time that I was able to watch a mania on my own. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The first wrestling shirt that I ever owned was Sami Zayn. Okay, I love Sami. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I don't understand why the conversation has become intrinsically like Cody or Sami. I know because, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, they introduced this new belt that's. Not the title that Cody Rhodes has spent a year saying, my dad had never got that belt, so I'm going to get that belt. But then they put Cody on the show that has that new belt. So it's actually a pretty cool design. I like, I like the design. It. I, of the new I, I like that it's a little bit more old school in its appearance. So yeah, so anyone that hasn't seen it, Google it. But if you were a fan back in the day, it is definitely meant to look like big gold Well also prominently putting the new logo on the belt so it's it's kind of a hybrid that i i quite enjoy i think it's i think it's a lot better looking than their other belts honestly but it's not the wwe title it completely neuters the story that he's been building for a year since he jumped shit back to the company yeah anyways this is not a wwe podcast which we should totally think about launching when we have free time sometime uh ready to talk about next week (laughs) Well, next week we only have two books oh wow well hey we'll be able to get that done yeah at this rate <laughs> that'll be like a 14 minute episode <laughs> uh we've got immortal x-men number 11 and x-men before the fall sons of x number one so we get both a gillen and a spurrier that's a pretty damn good week in my book yeah but i think that's gonna do it for us i think so too we are having a massive season three, 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 three relaunch party next week. Uh, it's going to be hopefully some new logos. We're going to relaunch the merch site with a different setup. It's going to be exciting. If you want all the news, follow either of us on Twitter or do you ever TikTok anymore? I don't TikTok anymore. I've, I've been posting the occasional talk still. There you go. Follow us on TikTok. Maybe someday I'll have time to do it again. Uh, 
join our Discord server. That's the best way to get a hold of me, at least. I love our Discord server. We've got some new blood in there this week. That's we been awesome. Did. did you know we had a voice channel? We have a voice channel on Discord, y'all. I, mean, I didn't I, know I, that. I, I set the thing up, so yeah, I did know it was there. I, Never I, used, I though. Know. We should totally use it. We should have a party. Uh, we're probably going to do a mini this week. I'm really excited to do the... Uh, rate the x crossovers i want to see everyone's opinion if you're on our discord server you're getting an invitation to be on that mini episode so you should totally be on that discord server so you can join us on those we haven't done one in a few months but i love those round tables yeah they're fun uh make sure you like us review us on all those places especially spotify i've not heard lately i do not know if we still have the disclaimer for a long time we've had a disclaimer where it pops up it's like you're one of the first to review i want to get rid of that disclaimer so if you can go on Jump on Spotify, listen to us for long enough that it'll let you review, because if you just click in, it won't let you review someone. And then give us the five stars. And, uh, yeah. Until next time, remember, drunk teenagers ruin everything. When he mentioned uh, season by Timo, he discussed. Timo! Hey, that's a new shirt. We're creating our own Timo. X Men named Timo. <laughs>